Well, this morning we're going to be doing something a little bit different, and for uh, for those of you that you, you uh, that have been coming here the last little bit, you know, I'm getting like a double talk here. You know what's better than one of me? Two of me. That's a grass. That's great, man. No, over the last several uh, weeks, we've been in a family series. We're taking a little bit of a break from that. Today, we're going to finish out our family series next week. You don't want to miss that. I'm excited about that. But today, we have the privilege of having Dr. Dan Warner with us. Dr. Warner, I don't know if he wants to claim this or not, was actually my professor, Old Testament professor. And, uh, and I asked him if he would come out and share with us. He's been an archaeologist in Israel and Egypt for over 30 years. And what I love about the Word of God, what I love about the faith that we have, is that it's not some faith that is detached from reality, but it's actually anchored in, in real names and real places and real seasons. And he's going to share a little bit about that. He's also going to be sharing uh, this afternoon at 4 p.m., so you don't want to miss that. We're going to have a great time. But he comes all the way from the great state of Florida. So would you do me a favor and give it up for Dr. Dan Warner as he comes to share with us this morning. Yeah. Hey, brother. How you doing? Good. So he was in the last service, and I still like him this service. He's a pretty good guy. And as I made mention, I still have all his papers, so if you want to write me, I'll send them to you. Hey, it's great to be with you. I've been, I was here yesterday afternoon talking to some of the staff, and it's just exciting, man. Almost makes me want to move up here, but, you know, ocean, valley, boat, and water. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, my wife said, are these real people up here? And I said, yeah, they are. So I got to take a picture just to prove it. So you don't mind, do you? <laughs> Smile pretty. Thanks. Got it. <clears throat> anyway, it's good to be with you. Uh, I am an archaeologist. I, I've taught several different seminaries in, over the past 40 years. And now I teach uh, part-time for Liberty University. But I also teach for the state college. It's called Valencia College. And uh, the Lord is just... Uh, Still flooding me with many, kind of semi-retired, not quite, but uh, with all kinds of opportunities, and this is one of them. So I just love to teach a course about the Bible. It's my passion, and of course, specifically archaeology. The Lord took me there years ago when I was a kid, uh, just newly married, got married at the ripe old age of 18, yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. But I was already out of year, year, uh, year of school, I'd already gone to year of college, and we're still together after close to almost 50 years, getting close to it. And I don't look that old, do I, yeah? Shake your head, right? Because you all, you all will flunk if you don't get an F. But uh, so it, uh, he took me when I was in seminary, Grace Theological Seminary, in 1979 and fell in love with it. Came back there and lived in Israel for a year. Took my family and one in the hopper. Didn't even know about it until we got there at Israel. I think you're pregnant. Well, I'm pregnant, what? And uh, so we almost had an Israeli baby. But uh, we got back in time, but... Uh, it was a great, a blessed experience living there with my family and uh, studying the land of, of Israel and then got hooked into archaeology. Gabi Barkai, one of the most renowned uh, Israeli archaeologists, uh, got me interested and it came back uh, years later, started with Harvard. And then ever since, uh, a lot of different sites. And you'll be seeing some of them this morning. So what I want to do this morning is, is take you on two trips. Number one, we're looking at, as Pastor mentioned, the reality of the Bible. The reality. A lot of people forget that. You, you just think they're nice little stories. But those are real people's lives. And they had meaning. And God said, thought it so significant that he put it in the Bible for you and for me. And so that brings us to, as I made mention, the reality. The text is telling us something. 
a lot of times, uh, you know, you, you think you get your fill on Sunday morning, the pastor gives us this, you know, expose, and I, and I go home, okay, great. No, no, no. That's not the end of it. No, no. You gotta, it's, it's, an, it's a lifelong study. I've been at it for over 40 years, and I still feel like a novice at times. But um, the Bible is so rich in content that how many commentaries have been written about the Bible? gazillion of them and people are still writing more it doesn't stop it's exhaust it's not exhaustive it just goes on and on and on and this is the uniqueness of the biblical text compared with any other religious book there's nothing else like it it meets the rubber meets the road because it's real it's real people just like you and I as I was telling made mention they're just common folk in the old testament they're, every once in a while you get a superhero like Samson you know but it's very rare. It's very rare. Uh, common everyday people. And, the God, and, and God said, hey, I'm going to tell you about them. I'm going to show you how I worked in times past. So I want to demonstrate the reality of the Bible through geography and archaeology. All right? So you don't mind learning something today? I'm going to call you a class every now and then because that's just the way I, the way I am with all the classes. So you're, you're in classroom 101. If maybe, although I met some brothers out there who's actually Doug in Israel. Uh, tell Halif, and uh, he wants to do archaeology, so it's exciting. And so, um, unless you've been to Israel, in fact, I think you all, next Sunday, just drop everything, go to Israel and do a trip there. <laughs> so talk to your pastor about getting, taking you over there. It's exciting because it, uh, it's just, it's, uh, it brings the Bible to life. And it, began, and it, puts, it, puts, it puts, like it says, reality to the stories that you're reading. Reality to that, that are significant, and, and it just brings the characters out. So that's what we want to do today. First of all, I want to look and just introduce a little bit to you about the Bible. You all have a copy of the Bible, I hope, right? The Word of God. It's quite significant, isn't it? It's the only book that's divine. And so this is very important to understand that I don't do archaeology to prove the Bible. The Bible doesn't need to be proven. Someone says, I don't believe the Bible. Say, so we'll read it. What happens when they start reading the Bible? The Holy Spirit starts taking effect. Because faith always comes by in hearing. Not archaeology, not geography, not going to the Holy Land. It's divine. You understand this book's divine. It's active and living. It's living. It's not, you know, it's not gonna bite you if you but it it takes a seed, right? Only takes a seed. How much is a seed to, to start a plant? I don't know. The Bible doesn't define it. Just get them in the text. And so that's what I do. I take archaeology when I get the chance to speak. I've cut back quite a bit. But I, I bring it to bring in, 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 uh, some incidences within the word of God that can prick their heart, quoting scripture. So the Bible means, therefore, the world and what it happened and what, in which it happens. And there's a lot of history, isn't there? Uh, Genesis is called primeval or proto-history because it's all... There's no, there's no historical documents. There's no historical documents. It's not until we get to Moses do we get the first historical documents with the Pentateuch. Up to then, there's no. There, is, there are none. Uh, specifically dealing with the nation of Israel <clears throat> until we get to the time of Moses. And so everything in Genesis 1 up to 1 verses 11, we, we have no documents. We do have other texts related uh, that talk about things in the book of Genesis that come from Mesopotamia specifically the Sumerians that talk about flood, that talk about Noah, Upnaptashim, you heard of that guy? That's a great, that's a great name for your son, all right? Upnaptashim, come over here. 
but uh, talks. He's 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 kind of like he's the uh, he the story of Gilgamesh. Remember him and uh, uh, a quest for a, a, immortal um, uh, eternal life. And he finds this guy who survived the flood. And so it's in the Gilgamesh epic. It's in the King's List uh, of uh, of Sumeria. It's in the it's in the uh, um, uh, creation epics as well. Every did you know every Ancient culture has some record of the flood. They all do. It's amazing. And well, of course, you know what liberals do with that. And they say, well, the Bible just borrowed everything from it and made up their own story. But if you've read the Gilgamesh epic and you've read some of the creation epics and compare it to the Bible, there's no comparison uh, as to what transpires. So the Bible, like I said, means the world in which it happens. And guess what, class? The Bible just assumes you know everything. It doesn't stop until you say, uh, okay, so Bethlehem was first a city back during this time period and inhabited by Canaanites and then David came along and yada. That doesn't do all that. It just says Bethlehem. And, you, and the Bible just says, as you're reading, uh, expects as you read it, boom. Yeah, I know what Bethlehem's all about. I know where it's located. I know it's just five miles south of Jerusalem. It's off the beaten path, but it's, it's, in, it's a small city and it's really never that significant. So I know all about Bethlehem. And I'm sure you do. I know a lot, a lot of you do. If I was like just to mention Lachish, immediately your mind would go to Lachish. Yeah, it's down in the Shephelah, right? How many raise your hand? That's true. That's what I, I know about Lachish and the, and the great invasion by Sennacherib and, and that the, the, the whole battle scene is, 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 was, painted, was carved on the walls of Nineveh. Yeah. All of this information. But the, the, the readers of the, Old, the Bible, the people in the Old Testament, New Testament knew all about these things. That's what brings the reality to life, understanding the context. So 95% of all your history in the Bible, though, occurs in the land of Israel or the land of Canaan. Canaan, all right? So do you think it's significant? You know something about the land of Israel? Obviously. If 95% of all history occurs there, you better know something about it. Every biblical event is lo- it's anchored in a location. <clears throat> all right? You know the famous real estate phrase, right? It's all about what? Location, location, location. Well, that's the way it is in the ancient world. It, it, it always has been. I don't know what city you came from, but why was your city built? What's the purpose of it? What's its function? Every city in the Bible has a function. They're not built by accident, all right? In fact, there are 200, uh, 200, uh, 2,000, excuse me, uh, cities mentioned in the Bible. How many can you name? <laughs> Maybe we should go around the room. We'll start and you can't repeat them, huh? <laughs> you flunked a class if you don't. <laughs> no. But why does God put all those cities in there? You think he just, you know, threw them in there, 2,000 cities to, you know, make, make sure the Bible's big and thick? It ran out of words to say? No, he's telling you something. Pastor already made mention of it. He's telling you, I was there. I was interacting with people at this location. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. So it's not by accident. So that's what we're talking about here. God has acted within these three uh, ideas, period, place, and people. Or you can put time in there, but I found the word P, so I got alliteration. Period, place, and people. Period. Uh, There's time frames from Abraham, right? Even uh, pre-Abrahamic ideas, I mean, in concepts, which is still a big enigma. But work is being done on it all the time. And in place... And of course, specifically Israel, 95% of all the history there. And with people, he's telling you the Bible's real. 
The Bible's not fake. There's no, he's telling you, in fact, he's actually writing it for you today. Because he knew when he was writing the text that people today would be denying the biblical text and trying to prove it false. And he's saying, come on. Remember the son? <laughs> come on, try, go ahead, do, take your best shot. We can, as archaeologists, contribute to this information to help understand, as we'll get to that in a moment. So look at Ezekiel 20, verse 9. It says very clearly, I have acted. For what? For the sake of my name. What does name mean? Name means everything. Name means all who, everything the individual is. And that phrase, my name, my name, is repeated over uh, close to 30 times in the Old Testament. My name, my name. Because I acted I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nation among whom they lived in whose sight I what? Here it comes. Here it comes. I made myself known. He's telling you. I've made myself known. If he has made himself known to the people in the New Testament, the Old Testament, what, he's doing, what is he doing for you? It's the same thing, class. He's making yourself known. Obviously, we don't have the exodus coming out of Egypt. But man, I hope we get to see it one day. In fact, have you ever thought, what are you going to do for eternity when you get to heaven? Well, guess what, class? is back into history 101. Yep. I think there's going to be a videotape library there. And we'll get to see all these events. At least that'll take care of for maybe the first half of eternity, watching all the history. And 380, you know, 180, you know, looking all, I want to see the Exodus. I want to see the, uh, you know, the flood, how it all happened in creation, don't you? The Garden of Eden. Maybe our minds will be someplace else. I don't know. But it's quite amazing. I made myself known. And he makes, his, he makes himself known to you every day. We just don't catch it. You can read the Old Testament. See how it worked. Read the New Testament. See how it worked. It works the same thing for you today. Amazing. That's why, you see. And <clears throat> that's what God wants us to understand. Well, when we get to Israel class, you have to understand where Israel is located. Remember, Abraham didn't, didn't get to choose where he wanted to go. God said, come here, Abraham. You're going to the land of Canaan. Why the land of Canaan? By the way, anybody know what the word Canaan means? You should. The land of Canaan occurs like 92 times in the Bible. But what does it mean? What does the word Canaan mean? It's, oh, I know, you probably know the Greek word. It's the word, Greek word Phoenician. Oh, that helps, right? What? Phoenician? It's a color, class. It's a color. Did you know that? Canaan is a color. You know what the most favorite color was in the ancient world? Purple. Canaan means purple. So yes, there were purple people eaters back in those days. <laughs> The word Canaan means purple. So the Greeks just translated Phoenician, mean purple people, because they mined the murex shell to get the little mollusk out of it to make purple dye. 10,000 of those little murex shells, you know, the little spiral things. Quite amazing. So it's the land of Canaan, and it's a hub of three continents. It touches Europe, Africa, and Asia. Isn't that amazing? And there sits Israel right there in the middle. It was all by design, class. Everything is by design in the Old Testament and New Testament and in your life. You understand that? Obviously, we can backtrack, but God's plan is still going forward. You cause, we cause our, you know, some of our worst catastrophes, don't we? We're our own worst enemy, as we as, as mention every now and then. But if we walk in the will of God, read his word, he says there's no test that can, that can, that can overtake you, that you're not able to stand. 
They're not able to bear. Anyway, so Israel stands at the crossroads, and so do we of the ancient world. It's called the land between. People were, were coming through Israel, and you can see the highlighted in yellow. You see the yellow line there going through the land? From Egypt up to Mesopotamia. From Mesopotamia down to Egypt. In Mesopotamia, you had the Assyrians. You had the Persians. You had the Babylonians. In Egypt, you always had the Egyptians. Quite amazing story in itself. But in the middle is Israel. So if Egypt wanted to trade with Mesopotamia, it went through the middle. Who did they have to go through? The land of Israel. Land of Canaan. If Mesopotamia wanted to trade with the known world, where would it go? South. Who's in the middle? Israel. If Mesopotamia wanted to conquer the known world, which way did it go? South. Who's in the middle? You think that was all by accident? God said you're going to the land of Canaan? Hmm. No, it's not. Because they were at the crossroads, as I may mention, of the ancient world. The crossroads of the ancient world. In fact, look at Jeremiah. It even tells you in the Bible, Jeremiah 6.16. Using the setting of Israel, God makes this remarkable statement. The lust saith the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it. He's using the geography of Israel to highlight their significance. To highlight their significance. As, the, as you stand at the cross of life like Israel is, find the best path. Now Israel, like I said, was in the crossroads for the specific reason for what? Because everybody came through their front door. There's a main highway. It's not mentioned, well, it's mentioned one time, Isaiah chapter nine. It's called the way of the sea, the way of the sea. Now, if I back up the previous slide, that yellow path, went, they brought them right through the coast of Israel. Coast, only way to go because everything else is mountainous. And then up into Mesopotamia. Israel is supposed to stop them along the way and say, hey, you're polytheistic, but you know what? We believe in only one God. His name is Yahweh. Let me tell you about Yahweh. Let me tell you about Adonai. Let me tell you about uh, uh, my God. But they failed. They failed so bad that God brought in the Babylonians finally in 586 and destroyed Jerusalem. And he did it again in 70 AD with the Romans. They failed their responsibility. They were supposed to be that city sit on a hill, you see. They were supposed to be that light that was not supposed to be covered with a bushel. But they failed their responsibility. Well, guess what, class? You too are in the crossroads every day of people that come through your front door. What are you doing about it? Get out of my yard. I got a gun here. This house is protected by Smith and Wesson. <laughs> I like that sign, by the way. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? People come through the front door all the time. Israel failed. They, instead of becoming one and unique, they became one just like the others. And sadly to say, that's what the church is becoming, right? We're becoming just like the others. We're becoming just like the world around us. Distinct, holy is the word, right? Holy means be separate. That was the first thing God taught Israel. Be distinct, be holy, be separate. You're not like the other nations of the world. I put you at the crossroads to highlight my what's going on. But they accept the syncretism crept in. So you yeah, have to understand this class, very significant. The Bible is the only book that puts any emphasis on, on, on geography. And it's for that very purpose. To understand the world, to understand that God has acted with time, within time, or play, period, place, and with people. And he's doing it for you too as well. Read the Bible. Read the stories. Be encouraged by what God can do and has done. In fact, as I made mention, there's a big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in the language itself. 
The Old Testament is what we call, uh, what we call oriental. Oriental, coming out of, specifically comes out of Semitic dialects, part of the uh, uh, Mesopotamian uh, Aramaic, and, uh, and, and also Canaanite, and we'll get to that in a moment, believe it or not. But its, it's emphasis is different than the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, everything is, as we saw, as I read in that verse, the previous verse in Jeremiah, I have acted. Did you know that in, in, the, in, in the Hebrew, you know what comes first in the sentence? The verb. You read a translation, obviously, so you miss a lot of the nuances, but unless you got a good commentary, but it, of course it's faithful translation, no question about it. But the verb comes first because the Orientals were interested in what can you do? Action. And in the, in the Greek New Testament, it switches not to, the, not to the verb, but to the noun to the noun, descriptive, descriptive elements, like the book of Romans, going through a whole uh, process of telling you what justification by faith is all about. You don't find any of that in the Old Testament because they want to see what their God can do and what, what God has done. And so the, the history that is written here is, is telling you exactly what God did. Isn't that amazing? So God knew, knew, knew what he was doing, as well as every word in the Bible is significant, even all those cities, because... Uh, like I said, he's, he's interested in the specifics of what transpired. So he puts the article sometimes. It's not just a Canaanite, it's the Canaanite. It's not any, just, it's not any king, it's this king, that king. You've got to be in tune to what God is saying within the word of God. All the words, all the phrases, it's significant. This is what makes the Bible come alive, and this is what makes it so interesting where you can't put it down. Well, what does this mean? What does that mean? So I ask you today, what's beside your bed at night? Now, we all have one of these things. Oh, yeah, it's right beside my bed because in the middle of the night, you know, I start thinking like a word, Ebenezer. Oh, man, what does Ebenezer mean? Oh, I asked her, talked about, I can't, <laughs> getting get in a panic attack and I got to go for my, my, my phone and I look up the word. Oh, whew. you know, now I can go to sleep. You ever had those experiences? All the time, huh? Yeah, right, yeah. What's beside, you know what, by, by the way, it's, you know, it's a sign of your motivation. Maybe your Bible should be by your, your head. You know what Alexander the Great slept on to motivate him to conquer the world by the time he's 29? The Iliad. Carried the Iliad. Look what these Greeks did. I'm just like them. <laughs> Keep it right beside your head. Isn't it? Very fascinating. Well, the land of Canaan, like I said, occurs 92 times. In the Bible even describes it for you. Geographical terms, look very carefully. Valleys and hills, you grow, you grow barley and wheat in the valleys. Always in the valleys. Not in the, you can't grow them in the hill country. There's, there's no level place. What can you grow in the hill country? Fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, because you terraced farming, you terraced the hillside. Not very big, not enough for wheat crops, but for wheat honey. So even the, this is specific. I mean, God is telling you, he knows his, he knows his farming. He knows what to do. That specific is never found in any other text in the world. Again, the, I told you, the words, the phrases, everything is significant in the text. Well, the land is not, it's complex. I mean, you can see by this diagram here that you, the only place to go is along the coast. The mount, it's all mountainous uh, and very, very difficult terrain. Uh, the modern roads today basically follow the ancient roads, all right? And so when you travel the road to Jerusalem, it's the same road that everybody else traveled. 
You go from Jerusalem to Hebron, same road. Nothing's changed much. The mountains have not diminished. So very complex. So this is in one of, this is my, one of my reconstructions that is in a couple of different uh, electronic public, pu publications. But you can see very carefully the, ter the terrain. Very mountainous except for the Jordan River, the Jordan Rift, the longest fault in the world, Sea of Galilee. It's, it, it's, it's correct in all of its... Uh, uh, we scanned in several maps and digitized it to the surroundings. But you get a good feel for what the land looks like. Very complex, kind of like California. Mountainous, but only the coastland. That's where everybody goes, all right? Everybody goes along the coast right here. And then in the Jezreel Valley on up. Quite amazing. So that's a little bit about geography, you understand? Uh, so get a good Bible atlas, Carl Rasmussen, uh, Moody has one. Uh, Zondervan has several, many electronic Kindle reader. You can pick up all these atlases on Kindle reader and start looking at a little bit. At it. And then yell, grab your passion and say, we're going to Israel, man. And we're going to go there and see it for ourselves. That'd be exciting, man. I'm telling you, it's great. It's great. So from then, then we switch. We got the we got the geography down. You're now all, all experts. You can go out and teach this wherever you want to go. So you're set, ready, and uh, here we go. So then, what about archaeology? What is archaeology? What can it do? I love archaeology. My first uh, uh, job was uh, at 18. I got a job with the union, operating engineers. Man, I was driving bulldozers, D8s, backhoes, front end loaders. The Jewish man, Sam Rosen, never forget the guy, taught and got me in. And I worked all this heavy equipment. I loved playing with the dirt right from the very beginning. Well, after, after, three, after three different companies I worked for went bankrupt, God saying, I don't want you here anymore. Get out. And I went back to college, met my seminary prof, took me to Israel, and that was it. I want to play in the dirt. <laughs> and I've been doing it ever since. Well, archaeology can be fun, but the only, there is a bad part. You know, my, the only thing bad about archaeology is that my career lies in ruins. Yeah. <laughs> but think about this, as I may mention. Your spouse gets more interesting as she gets older. <laughs> yeah. My wife says, stop looking at me like that. What are you trying to do? I got a little black book. I write these things down. I'm going to do when I, when I retire. I'll write, you know, the archaeology of aging. She says, yeah, I know. All you want to do is bury me in the backyard and dig me up again, right? <laughs> so, uh, no, not quite. So don't go looking around my backyard. There might be some other things, but. <laughs> so what, what is it, class? Is it science? Is it history? Is it anthropology? The question is, the answer is yes. All of these are tools that have been developed over the past couple hundred years, and they're down to a very good science that we can use to help uncover the ancient world. <clears throat> so, a lot of different questions you put to archeology, span but basically we're taking the past from material remains that you leave behind. So be careful what you throw away, all right? Because we're gonna go through your garbage one of these days and we'll know all about you. <laughs> so, the reconstructing the past based upon uh, the correlates of human history. So, it's a systematic though analysis, all right? It's a systematic analysis. And you can see very carefully that these are the tools. It's not very, you know, you got a bucket, you got a trowel, you got a, you got a pickaxe. Man, you can even lose about 20 pounds on the digs. Uh, I usually do, so I have clothes before and after. But that's just a side benefit, all right? Just let you know. But what can it do? There's a potential for archaeology. Number one, it can confirm. 
We have, we have historical documents of Hezekiah, one of the major milestones in the Bible that dates historical, that gives us a solid date to date a lot of the Old Testament. It can confirm, it can illustration. And how much, I mean, there's thousands of years of history in the, in the Bible and now we can illustrate a lot of that. And you can see what and actually actualize what it means to live in a house, to farm. All those motifs are used over and over again. It can illuminate, bring to light. Oh, the pastor gave you the word for Ebenezer. And then, of course, supplementation. So a couple key things I want to look at just briefly. You can pick up the magazine bar. But uh, the, these are all ancient sites. They're called a tell or a ruin. This is Lachish I was telling you about. Basically, the oldest is at the bottom and the newest is at the top, right? And we cut it off systematically, layer by layer, examining their, everything that's left behind, art, architecture, structures, pottery. We touch it, we feel it. We, we, we then can now put it together with animation, which you'll see tonight if you come back on Jerusalem. All the animation work that we've been doing, thousands of dollars been put into the projects. It's called the Virtual Bible. So we take it apart systematically, La Quiche. I just want to quickly go to Gezer for you. That's where I spent 20, uh, 12 years first excavating the main site of uh, the Solomonic period up in, up in here. And then I took on the water system project over here. So you're looking, you're looking north. This is looking west. So the gate complex there is right here and the water system is right there. Again, I want to combine two things. I told you cities are important. This is, this is, uh, this is Gezer. Look, it's located right here at the mouth. This is the, this is the way of the sea, the VMR, so I was telling you about the trade route. But Gezer protects the only entrance, the main entrance up to Jerusalem. It's critical. You've got to control. You've got to control it. Are your, if anybody can come in and attack you. Guess what? The Israelites did not take Gezer. It was too well fortified, too well fortified. And it left it in the hands of the Canaanites until the bad boy came along named Solomon, King Shlomo. Actually, that's his name. You always say Solomon, but it's Shlomo, Shlomo. He came along, I don't know why he keeps jumping ahead like that. Must be. Anyway, back, back up. So he, uh, go the other direction. So he came along, and of course, what is significant is that 1 Kings 9.15, one little verse, 1 Kings 9.15, he married Pharaoh's daughter, the only, one, only king ever to mention, ever to marry a Pharaoh's daughter. In fact, we have no even archaeological record yet of this guy, Solomon. Kind of interesting. Anyway, but in verse 9.15, he married Pharaoh's daughter, and he fortifies, see that word? fortifies three key cities. Oh, Gezer's there. Yep, Gezer along with Jerusalem and then Megiddo and Hatzor. That's what he does. And look at this, class. We have fortifications at Gezer, the bottom screen to your... Uh, who's playing? You got someone faster than... Is it Flash coming up there? Anyway, I'll just stay here. This is Gezer's gate. Look at this gate. It's this one right there, Gezer. And look at Hatzor. And look at Megiddo. They're identical. Megiddo's like in Hatzor are, are 65, 70 miles away. Do you think the king of uh, Hatzor came down to Gezer and said, hey, buddy, man, you got a great gate. Can I borrow it? You got a top plans for this? You got a, a, you know, drawings? Yeah, here are my drawings. No. It says in 1 Kings 9, 15, Solomon fortified these three cities. All of these gates date to the time of Solomon. They're identical. Just a little reference like, the, like fortified. And the word gate confirms Solomon did it, 10th century, all 10th century. It's ironic, it's the standard gate. 
That's used. They all date the same time period. Fits very well with the biblical evidence. There's the, this is the Canaanite gate here, but when I took on the project of the water system, which is right here, we excavated two other areas as well. Just a couple things to look at. Number one, we excavated the Canaanite gate area. And look what we found. You see these holes here? What do you think they represent? Infant burials. The Canaanites, of course, are described very wickedly, are they not? Uh, we're not sure if the babies were sacrificed. We had a few bones, but we didn't find any char marks on them. But these are burials the two, the, 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 underneath the gate to ensure, of course, the uh, solidification of the gate. And then we found some other unique things. Pre-historical documents, even grinding stones from the Chalcolithic period going back to 4000 BC. Quite amazing. And then a foundation deposit, same, same thing with a hoard on it that made news all over the world. We got the top fine of the year. It uncovered, it was in a nice little foundational box a uh, 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 pixis box underneath the foundation of the floor. Why? To preserve the house, to ask the gods to help out. And it did. It preserved the building. It's the only stand, one standing from that time period to this day. And inside it had a beautiful pendant like this, eight-pointed star, uh, very significant Ishtar uh, representing fertility. The most prominent deity in the ancient world is fertility. We find Thousands of them, literally thousands of clay figurines of women, bare-chested usually, and in given birth because fertility was success for life, for farming, for children, for life. For and Israelites had them in droves. Female figurines, Ishtar. Ishtar is the word Esther, by the way. In the and then the moon god, very popular god, moon. And we have them represented in all different types of text. But anyway, we take you down to the water system. We'll be showing you a little bit more about this tonight. The oldest water system in the world dates to the time of Abraham. It was filled up all the way to there. We cleaned it all out. Steps are still there. The hand holes are still there. All the way down to the reservoir pool, but we found a second cavern. We didn't excavate this. We're not sure. There's an upper cavern, lower cavern, because the ceiling was collapsing on us. So you can actually walk all the way back into this cavern. There's another one underneath this one, so I need to revise it. But nonetheless, huge, and that's what it looks like. Unbelievable. No dynamite, no, no iron tools, all stone all and bronze. That's the tools that Canaanites used. Unbelievable. Well, that's the world that we're looking at, that we're illustrating and understanding. Same thing with Ashkelon and the Byzantines. Just uh, I'll bring you real quick to one. There's the fortifications of this city. Look at that one. Huge tells rising up, fortified. We can't do, we can't do it, Moses. The cities, there are giants in the land and the cities are too fortified. The Canaanites were experts in building siege walls or ramp, uh, ramparts to protect their city. And huge gates. I worked on this gate. Oldest Canaanite gate ever in, exist, in existence. Quite amazing. All this to illustrate the biblical world. And last, of course, we'll see very carefully that one of the other major deities was the calf. How many times is the calf? What does Aaron do when he gets out of Egypt? What's the first thing he do? Remember Jeroboam when the kingdom and nation of Israel split in half? Solomon had, uh, said, when, as soon as you die, it's going to split. Jeroboam went to, went to uh, Dan and he made a golden calf. We found one at Ashkelon. Got the cover of Time magazine. Holy cow, it's a golden calf. Well, it wasn't golden. It's made out of silver. Not very big. Not very big. But you read about the calf worship. Very popular. You have fertility with a female deity. The bull gives you virility. virility. 
And that's the world of the Bible. As we pull into the sites, we pull into the, into the, uh, uh, into the uh, archeolo- archaeological world. Tonight, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to take you through the Sol- uh, Davidic, Solomonic, all the way to the time of Jesus. And I'll show you some of my animated reconstructions of Jerusalem because it's the only city that God says, I'm going to place my name there forever. Hmm. So I trust you can all come back tonight. It's been a blessing to be with you. Pastor? Thank you so much. Yes. Again, what I love, what I love is that the Word of God is is anchored. And so tonight, you don't want to miss that. 4 p.m., show up. We're going to have a great time just just as as, uh, Dr. Warner walks us through this. He'll have a little, little more time to work with. But man, I really appreciate you coming all the way out. You know, he, he, he's a big Harley guy. I'm jealous of his hair. I will say that, you know, but uh, uh, I told him it's good Harley weather. So, you know, you just get to get a, a, a house out here for, you know, just a few months. And so, it's... yeah, you and Samson, that's right. Oh, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to close out a prayer. Don't forget as you head out, if you're wanting to be part of a life group, check out the tents. You can sign up back there, but I appreciate you being here. Father, thank you so much for being a God who reveals yourself. And Father, thank you for giving us your word that reveals how you have worked in other times and other places among other people. And as we see you work then, it gives us the confidence that you are working now in our lives in this season, in this place. And so Lord, would you continue to strengthen our faith as we, as we study your word and for what you're going to continue to do in and through your people. We will thank you for this. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said... Thanks for being here. Dr. Warner's going to be heading to the back. Look him up. Let him know you're thankful for, for him being here. Ask some questions. Be here for. You're dismissed.